most teams tend to be very, very cautious when it comes to bike tech. Um, you know, I know it looks like the tour is like this grand rolling thing of all the newest, latest stuff. Most of the articles you see out there where some like, you know, secret thing is being shown is being shown on one frame in one team out of 176 riders. Um, so teams are very, very cautious about new bike tech, actually. And for the most part, uh, the teams will lock down their bike tech back in the December and January timeframes uh, in their team camps for the year. Welcome back. I'm Jonathan Kaplan, the host of the Riding With podcast. Today, I'm excited that we're joined by Ray Maker, who is the author of the DC Rainmaker newsletter. It's an online newsletter that reviews the latest in sports tech. So whether you're buying a power meter, a bike computer, a heart rate monitor, anything basically related to swimming, biking, running that has a microchip in it, Ray has reviewed. I thought the conversation was great. I was I was really, re- first of all, he helped me with possibly fixing my Garmin Vector 3 power meter pedals, which given what, they, what they're showing that I'm producing, I should be racing the Tour de France. Of course, that's not true. I mean, that's wildly inaccurate, but uh, I wanna thank him for his advice because we'll go out for a ride later and see if, see if it works. But what I was kind of struck by is that, you know, the technology that the best professional cyclists in the world are using and Ray just came back from a few days at the Tour de France, is not that much different from what you and I might be using. So it's an interesting conversation. Um, Ray has sort of revolutionized how uh, sports tech ha- is uh, reported and covered. He His work kind of reminds me of Walt Mossberg, who was the original tech reporter or tech reviewer of all things electronic at the Wall Street Journal. And to my surprise, Ray knew who he was. So that speaks to how well and th- how well and thorough he is at doing his job. You can find me and on Twitter and Instagram at Riding with JEK. You can find the Substack column at ridingwithkaplan.substack.com. And I really appreciate you joining me. We're gaining traction. We have more listeners and more followers uh, than I did when I started this this endeavor and it's really gratifying so thanks so much for being here and with that let's get to it the biggest question i was curious about is at the tour what you saw and what you think is the biggest development in terms of tech any aspect of it whether it's power meters computer bike computers the bikes themselves just curious what you saw. Generally speaking at the tour, we tend to see kind of two techs or two camps of bike tech. We see bike bike tech, right? So the actual like frame sets and, you know, things that kind of are realm and are in that realm. So it could be, you know, around the aero gains or uh, the weight of the frames, the weight of the bike components, et cetera. And then we see more of the tech that has the chipsets in it, which is what I usually tend to focus on. So things like bike computers, power meters, uh, sometimes aero sensors later in the, um, you know, the tour, the uh, time trial stages, et cetera. That said, most teams tend to be very, very cautious when it comes to bike tech. Um, you know, I know it looks like the tour is like this grand rolling thing of all the newest, latest stuff. Most of the articles you see out there where some like, you know, secret thing is being shown is being shown on one frame in one team out of 176 riders. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
teams are very, very cautious about new bike tech, actually. And for the most part, uh, the teams will lock down their bike tech back in the December and January timeframes uh, in their team camps for the year. And that's where they stick through the entire year. Um, and very rarely do we see uh, the ability to see brand new, truly brand new tech across an entire team. Instead, we see like those examples of, you know, the team or a marketing person will say, hey, there's so-and-so's got this on their on their bike for for one day or for a couple of days. And so uh, from a, you know, what I focus on the chipset side of it, uh, most of what we've seen has already been released. So we see things like the newer bike computers that have come out. Um, we've seen power meters have been out for the last, you know, mostly year or so, year or two in, in most cases. Um, but we are seeing definitely kind of a shift towards or a consolidation, if you will, uh, on those fronts. So in the case of bike computers, we see the teams essentially consolidating on either Garmin's latest gen bike computers or Wahoo's bike computers. Uh, and those are mostly aligned to the sponsorships. Uh, so, you know, five years ago, there wasn't really sponsorships of bike computers themselves. Um, you know, Garmin would sponsor a team or two and they might be on some Garmin device. Um, but half the time they just kind of pick things at random versus these days, those teams are rocking, uh, some of the devices that just came out a month and a half ago, uh, the edge 540 and 840, for example. Um, and so they are getting to the point where those teams are more comfortable, at least comfortable enough to use those latest gen devices. Uh, and the same is true on Wahoo as well for the other roughly half of the teams. Uh, there are a few teams that are doing things outside of that. So, um, there's one with Hammerhead Crew 2s on there, uh, sponsored by SRAM and Hammerhead, uh, for example. Um, but we don't see any SRM head units anymore, so any SRM by computers, which is, I think, probably the biggest takeaway. If I had, like, one tech takeaway from the tour, it would be SRM is gone. What's um, SRM again? Like, which is... SRM is uh, really the first major power meter company out there. Okay. Um, so they're okay. the ones that kind of pioneer power meters. And so uh, they are... Uh, you know, a German company, um, though they also have you know, bases in Italy. Um, and, you know, when it came to power meters, the pro riders used that was what you saw, eventually every single pro rider have on their bikes. Uh, but over the last 10 years, those prices stayed at crazy high levels, you know, $1,500, $2,000 for a power meter, while the rest of the industry caught up and got down to 500 and $300 power meters. Um, and SRM's prices stayed super high. Their technology actually became less accurate effectively in comparison over time. And they've slowly kind of fallen away from the pro peloton. So this is the first year there is no SRM sponsored teams. Uh, and there's only one team that was sponsored last year that didn't find a new power meter uh, sponsor and has a handful of bikes on SRM, a handful of bikes on stages, just like a garage sale of, of random components. You're going to tell um, us which team? But it's this, uh, Kofidis. Oh. Yeah, so Team <laughs> Kofidis. Um, so, uh, but it was just uh, one of those moments I'm looking around going, wait a second, this is this is the first time in decades um, that this has happened. Uh, and instead, what we see is the shift towards um, drivetrain manufacturers being the, the key sponsor for power meters. So in this case, Shimano um, sponsors almost two thirds of the teams. Um, SRAM sponsors another handful. And then uh, we see some from FSA and, and so on uh, for the kind of remaining like cats and dogs, if you will. Um, but even that has some, some really interesting kind of, you know, elements to it because the Shimano power meter is considered widely considered the least accurate power meter you can buy in the market today. Uh, it's got all sorts of issues and faults, but it shows the, the power of sponsorships in the Tour de France where, you know, the, these sponsors are telling the, the riders what to use 
even if that's bad data, even if that's uh, potentially not potentially, even if it's a bad product, right. um, they have to use it. Uh, and there's lots of conflict within the teams of how to deal with that bad data and how to deal with that. But it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting tour for sure. That's pretty amazing. Um, I was going to ask at the end, why does my um, Garmin Vector 3 suck? But um, maybe I should go back <laughs> and read your um, newsletter more carefully. I would say the, the, the two core scenarios are um, if it's really not cranked down tight enough would be one. Um, how, what, what kind of suck are we talking? Are we talking like bad data? Like it tells you you're too, oh, if, if the, the power or <laughs> if the data were accurate, I would be in the tour de France. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I would say like generally speaking, power accuracy on the Garmin vector isn't the problem you would have. Generally speaking, if you look at vector three, its biggest issue back in the day was the battery caps, right. um, would basically cause dropouts and all sorts of other issues. But that was like a very kind of one and zero sort of problem. Like either you had power and it was good or you had nothing, right? There was just no, no data coming out of it. Um, so usually, generally speaking, if there's power accuracy on a Garmin Vector product, it's that the pedals aren't necessarily cranked down tight enough or there's something physically wrong with the spindles, like they got damaged or crashed or whatever. But oh. um, it's pretty rare, though, to be honest, for that particular part. Oh, well, maybe the pedals aren't tight enough. That could be, I didn't realize that could be it. I'll go check that. I'm glad it'd be, it would be great if it'd be a simple fix. They were actually, I have to give Garmin credit, they let's see the previous they sent me a free pair basically um yep. because i can't remember what happened the last pair stopped working i'm not sure they weren't that old either. probably the battery but cap issue these are all covid purchases you know yep <laughs> so yeah um and the other the other probably potentially obvious thing is that if it was calibrated so if when you press that calibrate command on a power meter, this is true of all power meters but if you were to press that calibrate command while your feet were on the pedals then that would create an offset that oh, would result in crazy high values as well. Uh, uh, but okay. that takes two seconds to, to fix that. You just take your feet off the pedals, press calibrate again, you're good to go. Well, I hope I hope the listeners out there also have this issue <laughs> and they can, you've solved a lot of problems for a lot of people. Um, do you want to talk about any about in terms of the bikes, what you saw? I mean, the bike stuff is, is sort of tends to be outside of my realm. It's yeah. funny. So I was looking at Ed bikes um, and, you know, I, I certainly see some of the bikes and you're like, dang, that's a nice bike. Um, but I, when I look at the bikes, I'm looking at tech. I'm like quickly running through and seeing like, is that drivetrain? Is that um, shifting system? Is all that um, announced yet or not? Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm looking at that going, um, are they trying to hide something in there? Which is definitely things that happen to tour all the time, um, where they're trying to hide like, you know, unreleased components in there. Uh, once I'm done with that, I'm looking at the bike computers. Once I'm done with that, I'm looking at, you know, other bits on bobs on the bike, um, even like, things like the mounts, like what mounts are they using, et cetera. Oh, interesting. By the time I get to all of that, then I'm like, oh yeah, it's a brand new unreleased bike. Interesting. Um, but it's not like part of the things that I tend to like geek out on. Uh -huh. Um, so like I'll, I'll take a ton of photos of a bike and won't even notice until I'm done taking all the photos of all the other components that it's like, oh, that's that's never been seen before i see um, i see anywhere even one of the the bikes i was taking photos of with a an older bike computer that i was showing just to show the the curiousness of a rider using this much older bike computer that's very very small and was unsponsored um it wasn't until later on that someone pointed out that the uh, handlebars system on that was actually sloped downwards below the rest of the frame so typically you know a handlebar would be kind of even uh, right and this was actually like a lowered in whole weird integrated cockpit thing um that just wasn't on my like top of the mind i see i see you think most of the riders wear heart rate monitors too 
Yeah, I think most of them do these yeah. days. Um, and the reason is that the teams look at that data, their heart rate data and their power data, but especially their power data as their resume. Um, so right, right. if you look at, you know, when you go from team to team, you're bringing all your power data with you. Um, it is fundamental to how riders get contracts in the Tour de France these days. They certainly, they have the results. The results are important. Um, and if you're a big name like Cav, you know, Cat Mark Cavendish, et cetera, then it's a different your power data. Yeah. Yeah, totally different cap. But if you're trying to land your fro- your first, you know, team first world tour contract, um, your power data is your ticket to entry. Uh, that's that allows those team coaches to look at your data and kind of suss out and figure out: Are you a better rider than your results indicate, or vice mm-hmm. versa potentially? Um, but in talking to a lot of the teams uh, about that, you know, they expect and it's required that that rider brings their power data with them. Um, it looks at that, and that includes a heart rate data, and that includes them look at that and say, okay, if you were putting out this this given effort, um, what what your heart rate look, look like, look like and, on that particular day? Um, and just to explain it, they're looking at watts per kilogram, right? Correct. And that is yep. so one a watt is what a measure of yeah, it's a measure of of power of torque, um, or effectively torque and cadence together. Okay, um, so I mean, generally speaking, like. If you were an average adult male um, and you were just pedaling, you know, a, a beach cruiser down the beach, nice and easy, you might be putting out 100 to 150 watts. Um, if you were riding your bike kind of hard, you know, as an average adult male, you might be putting out 200 to 250 watts. Um, if you're in the Tour de France, in the Peloton, you're probably putting out that same 250 watts, but you're likely a lot lighter rider, so that's going to seem harder. Um, but for context, on these sprints, like those sprint finishes, uh, where those guys, those last, you know, 10 to 30 seconds, they're putting out like 1600 to 2000 watts. Um, I mean, we're just talking. Wow, that high, huh? In, oh, yeah, insane values right. um, to to finish. Uh, and it's fun. Sometimes the, the team riders and, you know, power is something that, like I said, it's a part of the resume, but it's also something that a lot of riders, especially in sprint type scenarios, want to keep kind of secret. Yes, They don't yes. want others to know what, what they're capable of. Right. So right. if you look at someone's Strava profile, some of the top pro, most of the top pro riders, um, there's a toggle in their account you can set to hide all of your power or all of your heart rate data because they don't want competitors to know right. how hard they're actually working. Um Likewise, that same data, most more interesting potentially, uh, can be used to figure out whether or not someone is uh, cheating, either doping or um, you know with that uh, drugs or with uh, like a e bike or e uh, electronic motor or something like right. that. Right. Um, because you can look at that and go, oh, that power doesn't match the incline. Like, right. You can, right. You can very quickly do math on that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, I think if listeners want to go back, I, Cole Kessler, who rides for Israel Premier Tech, shared a power profile with me last yep. year and it was kind of cool to look at i mean you're talking like six watts per kilogram for an extended oh, yeah. period of time it's yep. it's pretty amazing well, that's super interesting thanks for thanks for sharing that yeah. okay so let me go through some scenarios you know let's say you're an avid cyclist you ride more than like the weekend with your friends you know you're two or three two or three times a week you're on zwift you know you're out there training maybe for a local crit or a grand fondo mm-hmm. like what's your bottom line i mean what do you recommend in terms of um, the bike computer the, in the power meter. Yep. I think, you know, for, for bike computers, there's a ton of amazing bike computers now between 250 and 300 bucks. Um, so 
you know, something like the uh, Hammerhead Crew 2, is it like 250 these days? The Garmin uh, Edge 530, which is the previous generation, is at, you know, 250 as well to 299. Their newest generation uh, is about 300 or so. Um, Wahoo's Bolt V2 is in that same category. Like, there's a lot of great computers there. Um, I would just stick there. You know, if you want, essentially with bike computers, the way it works in 2023 is that you're paying more, mostly now for a bigger screen. It used to be that, you know, you paid more for more features, but the features are more or less the same across the board, no matter what, you know, what price point you get. Like in the case of Garmin, uh, you're just paying for an incrementally bigger screen with more and more. Cash, oh, I you know, see. Interesting. Edge, edge 1040, which is a big old like cell phone to sized. Uh, yeah, right, computer. right, right. Um, After 40, that's important. Are- After 40, that's important. <laughs> it, it can be right. And it's, it's a beautiful, like I, I use it a lot. It's a beautiful display. And I think, you know, again, 10 years ago, the whole idea that you had this tiny little bike computer in your handlebars, but now people are like, why do I need a squint at something? Like we're not, you know, for most riders, like you said, that are just going out enjoying it. You don't really need to, to have every last bit of arrow gains or weight gains or anything like that. Right, so, I mean, right. even the pro riders, even, uh, you know, probably, I would say half of the pro riders out there uh, this weekend um, are using Edge 1040s, Garmin's biggest, heaviest bike computer, uh, right? They just want to see the data. Right, and, right. you know, if we, we look at that kind of stuff, it just, it's what they prefer. Um, as for power meters, I think power meters can be really fascinating for um, recreational riders. Uh, I wouldn't go out and spend $1,000 on one, but there are plenty of options in the $500 range, especially with many bikes coming equipped with power meters these days. Um, yeah. The the upcharge, I know like on some of the latest generation of bikes, you know, the cost to get a power meter on those bikes is just a couple hundred bucks. It's like two or $300 more to get a power meter included, um, which is, which is great. Yeah, the yeah. main thing I would, would recommend there is just don't overthink power initially, just collect data. When you first get a power meter, just keep on riding like you were riding. Don't overthink it. Just, just simply look at the data for a couple months and just understand what that data is telling you, understand what an easy day is, understand what a hard day is, hard effort, et cetera. Um, too many people will get power meters and immediately like try to start training by right, it. And right. you, just, you need to gather a baseline to figure things out. Right. And which one do you recommend? Uh, most of the brands are pretty good now, to be yeah, honest. I think yeah. it depends. It's more about what type you want. Um, so for example, if you wanted to, if you have like three different bikes uh, and you only want to pay for one power meter, then a pedal-based power meter is great because you can right, move it like right. your Vector 3s from bike to bike to bike. Um, but if you have one bike, then a pedal-based power meter tends to be more expensive, um, tends to double the price. Uh, so in that case, you could use a crank set-based power meter, something like uh, from SRAM that's you know, you know built into a lot of drivetrains these days or from stages, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are, those are more affordable. I see, I see. Interesting. And, y- you know, I know this is my in your newsletter, sort of in the about section. But how did you come to start doing this? And I mean, I can't, I can't, I can imagine that um, you know you've built you're like an industry unto yourself. You know, this is something that right bicycling magazine might have done or Velo News might have done. Maybe they still do it. Um, you know, I'm not really reading them these days, but because uh, sure. there's so much better coverage that, out there on on right. you know yeah. newsletters and what have you. Um, you know how'd you grow it and sort of where where's your business stand now yeah i had started off just as a personal blog about journaling my first um i journeyed my first iron man uh and then from there i had copied and pasted a long form email 
that I wrote to a bunch of coworkers at the time when I was working at, at Microsoft on a GPS watch that I had. Um, it was like a review, just, you know, but it was like, I don't know, eight paragraphs or something. Um, and I copied and pasted it into a post on this blog that I had. And I'm like, there, there's my first review. <laughs> um, and the thing is back, you know, almost 15 years ago now, long form reviews of tech things didn't exist, right? Like you said, it was, it was magazines that um, were effectively advertorials, right? They were, right. you know, a, a two to three paragraph copy of the ad marketing junk. And that was the review that, that was used. And so the idea that you had something that was eight or even 10 paragraphs long with pictures that you took yourself and not stock photos um, was actually surprisingly new then. So I went and just kind of kept on doing that for each product I bought. Uh, and over the course of a couple of years, it became sort of the, the main thing I was doing. Um, and then eventually in 2016, so I guess about uh, eight, seven, eight years ago now, yeah. um, I just I went on that direction as my full-time job. And so now I just I focus on reviewing uh, both on the site as well as on, on YouTube uh, sports tech stuff. So anything in that cycling and running and fitness, uh, you know, with, with some sort of chipset inside of it, some I sort see. of technology component. I see. And so do you consider yourself a journalist? You know, it's, it's funny. I, I would from like an ethics standpoint, yeah. I've got like huge ethical walls that I've, that I've made, um, that are, are probably higher than most, you know, media organizations in terms of, I don't take advertising from, uh, any company that review period. Hmm. Um, so I don't take any advertising funds from anything like that. Um, I send all the products back, like all that kind of right, stuff. It's right. all, um, even my own travel, every, every media event I go to, I'm paying my own travel entirely. Um, you know, it's, and all that costs a lot, but I think, um, readers and, and viewers find value in that I can say whatever I want about a product and not have any meaningful fear of, of retribution, uh, financially anyways. Right. Um, right. you know, certainly companies can cut me off from products in the future, but I found that doesn't really work. Um, cause I'll just go out and buy it and I'll review it anyway. So it doesn't, <laughs> It doesn't really matter. So, you know, from, from their perspective and my perspective, it's better off if they give it to me ahead of time and have a chance to at least um, have me ask questions and understand why things are the way they are, um, which has always really been my goal is to explain why products work the way they work. Yeah. Um, even if I think the way they work is stupid, I'm going to give that company a chance to explain why they made that decision. Because in most cases, engineers at companies aren't trying to make bad products. They have a a reason why they had to do what they did, um, either technical or product or marketing or price or some reason. Um, and my goal is to review the product and tell whether or not it fits, you know, what the product should do, et cetera, but also to explain when those theoretically bad decisions happen, why they might've happened. Right. Right. And what, so what do you do to monetize the content then? Yep. So there are some ads on the site, but it's all based on like Google AdSense style. So if you're looking for like women's lingerie, you're going to get women's lingerie ads and so on. Um, pretty, pretty straightforward, oh, basic yeah. advertising. Um, and on and YouTube, it's just the magic of YouTube ads for the most part. Um, and then there's some affiliate stuff as well. So if you, you know, buy a product off of Amazon, I get something back from Amazon. Oh, right. Um, okay. But even there, I don't do deals directly with companies. So, right. you know, I don't do any affiliate deals directly with Garmin or Wahoo or any of the companies that review because I don't want a scenario where someone's saying, oh, Garmin gives a higher commission than Wahoo right, or right. whatever the case is. So I don't care what you buy on Amazon. If you want to buy a bike computer, great. If you just want to buy like a thousand dollars of the toilet paper, that's great. Too. It's, <laughs> it's fine. You're like the Walt Mossberg of sports tech. And everyone, yeah, everyone's I mean, like, who's, Walt, who's Walt, Walt Mossberg? Yeah. <laughs> everyone under 30 anyway. Yeah. 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 Walt's, Walt's a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, man, I think it's incredible what you've done. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable and good for you. Sort of doing it oh, on your own it. terms, you. and um, you know, you're you're driving your own train. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's been it's a fun journey for sure. It's yeah. uh, it's a lot of work, but it's it's a lot of fun. All right, maybe next time we can talk about the the mul- the e bikes with the multiple seats. You you know, ferry the kids back and forth from swim practice to yep. swim practice on. So. Indeed, it's it's all about uh, all about cargo bikes here. I've got a it's it's been a horrific weather day today, so I've got to go out and brave the weather um, and uh, go back in the cargo bike and pick up the kids here in a few. There's, you don't own a car. No, no, no. It's we've got two cargo bikes. Wow. Uh, it's it's the way to go. Except today, today was the highest winds ever recorded in the Netherlands. Wow, um, just 150 kilometers an hour. Um, so it was a really. Yeah, it's about 100. Yeah, yeah. 100 miles wow. an hour. Wow. Um, and you know, it takes a lot to really upset the apple cart wind wise in the Netherlands. Like this mm. is this was a day we received like three emergency alerts, alerts on your phone. The airport shut down. Like these things oh, never yeah. happen. Yeah. Um. So, but still. We delivered the kids via bike this morning to school. Um, you know, <laughs> one tree fell like a couple seconds before my wife, but it was, it's all good. Um, it's just the, the way of life here. All right, man. Thanks again. Thanks for your time. Yep. It's great. No problem. The Riding With podcast is produced and edited by the team at Palm Tree Podco. Anthony Palmer is the executive producer. <laughs>